Welcome to Are You Afraid of Ghosts? My name is Jessica Gulliford and I'm really excited because I got this awesome story submitted to me and I wanted to read it. So if this is your first time listening, um, there are plenty of other episodes I've done on various haunted places. Sometimes I do some on paranormal activity. I would love to go and visit some of these places in real life if I if they're not local to me. Um, so if you're thinking about sponsoring a podcast, um, you want to help me out, maybe I could travel, do some interviews, get some cool stuff, um, maybe run some contests, have some people come with me. That would be kind of fun. Um, so also, um, before I read the story, if you um, want to follow this podcast, we are on Twitter at AreYouAfraid3. We are on Instagram at AreYouAfraidOfGhosts. We have a Facebook page, AreYouAfraidOfGhosts. And if you have your own story, um, even if you think it's not that scary, it's still going to be your story. And um, it could be a ghost story. It could be something that happened to you. It could also be someone else's story if they're willing to let you share it. Um, please email us at areyouafraidofghosts at gmail.com and I will read your story. Okay, so this uh, I'm going to read a couple different stories, um, kind of a mishmash of stuff that I found and um, this one actually was sent to me. So I wanted to, uh, read this one first. This was sent to me by a man named Andrew Dexter and he lives in the UK. So I will tell his story. Um, so bear with me here. If I mess up any of the words, I am sorry, Andrew, but, um, you know, I'm trying, I'm going to try my best. All right. My family and I lived at a large property called Gladstone Villa in the former mining town of Bargode in the Kyre Philly County Borough of the South Wales Valley in the UK. From 1969 to 1978, we experienced activity that simply defied rational explanation, such as lights going off and on. We witnessed electrical cables being pulled, and my grandfather, Bill, claimed to have had a glass bottle thrown towards him as he entered the main bedroom, missing him by inches. I didn't personally see this myself, but I still recall the time he came from there with the broken bottle in his hands and he told us what happened. There was the occasional sighting, but this was a very rare in this was a very rare indeed. So rare that in all the nine years I was there, I never once saw it, but I did hear it many times in the bedroom. It's still worth mentioning that my mother Caroline saw it on at least two occasions. There were also regular footsteps heard in the main bedroom every evening. Sometimes during the day, when we'd all be downstairs watching TV, one of us would turn the volume down to hear it more clearly, and my grandfather Bill would point to the ceiling and say, he's by here, or he's by there now, trying to make out where the footsteps were coming from exactly. There were five members of the family that were living at Gladstone Villa. My maternal grandfather, William Higgs, known as Bill to family and friends, a retired miner who worked at a local colliery, colliery, excuse me, if I'm jacking that up. He was a short, bald man who liked nothing more than to listen to his country and Western LPs, Johnny Cash and Glenn Campbell and so on. He also liked Westerns on TV that starred John Wayne or Clint Eastwood. My maternal grandmother was Rita Higgs. She was a short woman who was a housewife. She was completely total, teetotal, but liked to smoke. She also liked collecting garden gnomes and liked watching soap operas on TV. My mother, Caroline Dexter, met my father at the local bakehouse in Baldwin Street. 
She was a day shift regu regularly, and my father worked the night shift. He would stay behind to make her cup of tea and chat. They dated for three years before they got married on Monday, the 1st of April, 1968. The Beatles were number one with Lady Madonna, very apt. They did not get a place of their own, but they decided to live with my grandparents at Gladstone Villa, which was in Car on Cardiff Road, Cardiff Road. I was born in the 24th of August, 1969, when everyone was listening to the latest number one in the charts, Honky Tonk Woman by the Rolling Stones. It was soon after that my mother said that strange things started to happen. I was just a baby when she said it all started off rather quietly, like small tapping here and there, but nothing too noticeable. But in time, the activity gradually increased. One time, my mother said the family heard a noise, a noise like someone jumping down from the attic and onto the landing. Naturally, thinking that someone was trying to break in, they went to see what was going on. When they got there, they found nobody there, but the hatch to the attic was open. Whatever it was eventually occupied itself in the main bedroom, which incidentally was my grandparents' room. It soon made its presence felt by walking around the bedroom, and the sounds of dragging could be heard. One day, my mother went upstairs to that bedroom to get my father up for work so he could get ready for his night shift. When she got to there, she was confronted by the sight of the ironing board placed on my father's torso as he slept. When he awoke, he was astonished to find the situation he was in. He suspected my grandfather Bill was playing pranks, but in time, he knew my grandfather was not responsible for it, and he told his work friends that what was going on going on there and it got around that Gladstone Villa was haunted. My parents separated in 1972 and my father left Gladstone Villa, but it wasn't because of what was going on at Gladstone Villa. It was just a breakdown of the marriage. They finally divorced on the 25th of April, 1975. The British band, the Bay City Rollers were number one in the charts with Bye Bye Bay again, very apt. It would have been would have been amusing, but for the fact of what was going on here, on there. I was barely two years old, so I have no memory of my father living at Gladstone Villa, but he would come to see me every Saturday to take me to my paternal grandparents and to the local cin cinema. Great times, even though the paranormal activity still continued. <clears throat> As I got older, I too witnessed the activity for myself. I actually saw the poltergeist activity for myself. I saw the electrical cables being pulled by unseen forces. I saw the lights going off and on, and when my grandfather Bill would play re play records on Sunday as the family as the family did dinner, it would turn the music off. It took exception to the British band Slade and any religious TV shows my grandmother Rita would watch. The local police were also involved. I remember them popping their heads into the attic, hesitating and not going in, but they suggested it was my father playing a prank on the family. A family friend, Mrs. Ivy, Ivy France, she was more of a friend to my grandmother Rita. She was very skeptical when my grandmother told her that Gladstone Villa was haunted. I can still remember Ivy going into the main bedroom, looking around and saying it was vibration from the traffic outside causing it, but she was soon to change her mind when she experienced it for herself. It was then she suggested the local press and a medium. The medium was John Matthews, and when he came to Gladstone Villa, he started by asking the family questions. He then began by challenging the spirit to perform by knocking on the ceiling, and sure enough, it responded by knocking back at him. At some point, John went into a trance to try to make contact with it, but he failed to get a name. 
He later confirmed the obvious that there was indeed a presence there and it was an earthbound spirit and that it has unfinished business. A priest by the name of Graham Jones was called to Gladstone Villa. He blessed the property and after a few prayers, he duly left it left and it was quiet for a few short months after that. No incidents, but it did return with and with a vengeance and this time it decided to show itself. One evening, my grandfather Bill, my mother Caroline and I were watching television. My grandmother Rita was reading a book when all of a sudden my mother just so happened to look to her left and she saw the full solid figure of a monk standing by the doorway. We did not see this as we were otherwise occupied, but she later described it in detail as a monk in typical brown habit, complete with hood over the head so she didn't see the face. It sounded very much like a 16th century um, Benedict monk. Fred Davies was a friend of my grandfather, Bill. They worked together at the local colliery and he would visit most evenings. Fred was a slim man who would wear a flap, a flat cap <laughs> and glasses and smoked home homemade cigarettes that hung from his lips when he spoke. He would sit in his favorite chair by the open fire and talk to the family and watch TV with us. One day, Fred was with us in his usual place by the open fire. I was quietly playing with my toys by the sideboard. It was quiet all of a sudden. There was a, then there was a very, one very loud bang. It was so loud that Fred ducked his head and I ran to my mother for comfort. When it was quiet, we all went upstairs. My grandfather, Bill, would always be first and I would be last. When we go to that bedroom, we found nothing that could account for that noise. Fred later told us that he ducked his head as though he thought it was going to come through the ceiling. Fred told us of another experience he had at Gladstone Villa. My grandfather Bill liked to look out the landing window that overlooked Cardiff Road and into Bargoed Town Center. This time, Fred joined him. He said he felt something brush past him when he looked, but there was nothing there. The most frightening experience I had when I was alone in that particular bedroom was I made sure the light was on and it was very quiet. I was lying on the bed facing the window that overlooked Cardiff Road when I suddenly felt something heavy pounce on the bottom of the bed. I heard the bed springs go just once and I felt the bed bounce. I didn't look straight away, but when I did, there was nothing there. I went downstairs to tell my family and we all went back up. We saw distinctive paw marks on the bed like that of an animal. I later found out that my grandfather, Bill, had a black Labrador dog named Tovey, who died before I was born. My grandfather, Bill, and my mother, Caroline, claimed to have heard a baby crying there, but as I didn't hear that at the time, I took very little notice of what they had said. The activity got so bad that my mother, grandmother, and I slept downstairs with the lights on. It was only my grandfather, Bill, who was supposedly brave enough to sleep there. It was then that he himself had yet another experience in there. He told us that he was lying on the bed when all of a sudden he couldn't move. He couldn't even shout out to us to help him. This well could have been sleep paralysis, but he said he, when he heard something, it was, oh, but he said he heard something in the room with him. My grandmother Rita had her own experiences. One day she went upstairs into that room to, to get my grandfather up when she saw the boiler door open wide by itself. She didn't stay there to see what it was, but she rushed out of that room. Another occasion, she said, she had the sensation of something pulling from under her foot, 
like she had stepped on his gown. We had the ghost for so long that my grandmother Rita gave it a pet name. She called him Johnny, and my grandfather Bill would shout out that name to provoke a reaction, but nothing would happen. Ivy Francis, Francis's son, Charles, got to hear about what was going on at Gladstone Villa, and he came along with some friends. And with my family's permission, they went into the bedroom. It frightened one of his friends, and to this day, one of his friends still says it was, it was a spooky place. My mother, Caroline, had an operation on her and ended up on crutches to support her. The local nurse would tend to her foot. My mother was sat in the chair when, when the nurse came this day, and the nurse knelt down to tend to her, and she told my mother not to hold her. My mother looked at my grandmother, Rita, in amazement, as she was not holding the nurse at all. My mother made her own conclusions that it was Johnny the ghost that was holding her so as not for the nurse to hurt her. The only time I heard the ghost being vocal was the time that we were all in the room. One of us wanted to use the bathroom and we couldn't get in there. My grandfather Bill said, he's behind there. I heard quite distinctively the sound of a Gregorian chant and that was it, nothing more. We left in the summer of 1978 when two local businessmen bought the property and Gladstone Villa was eventually converted into a small hotel and its name changed to Reds Park Hotel. On the night before we moved, there was one final incident we experienced as if it knew we were going, we were going and that's the way if it, it's saying goodbye. My mother, grandmother, and I got ready to go to sleep. The light was on and then we heard the doorknob turning as if someone was trying to get in. At first, I naturally suspected my grandfather, Bill, as he was the only one who slept upstairs in that room, and we thought it may have been him playing a prank. I called out to him, but there was no answer. No laugh that would give him away. We then heard our belongings that were packed in the hallway being thrown around. The next day, we asked my grandfather, Bill, if it was him playing a joke on us. He insisted it wasn't him, and to this very day, I believe him. I had my 40th birthday at Red's Park Hotel in August 2009 for old time's sake, and it was the female staff that told me about the ghost, and I told them about what happened to me there 30 years before. The staff told me of their own personal experiences, lights going off and on, the odd sighting in room 5, a bride in white was seen, again, as with the claims of a baby crying that made no sense to me at the time. I did a thorough research of the property, and the Cardiff Road area, and I found some very interesting things indeed. I found out that Bargoed Library and local newspaper archives that Gladstone Villa dates back to 1900, and it was named after the former British Prime Minister William Gladstone. I discovered the previous people that lived there, the Kimiet family in 1924, the new married couple Michael and Evelyn Kimiet, and a son named Elvin Kimiet. He died at the property just four months old, according to the archives of the Cardiff newspaper, the Western Mail of that year. This explained the baby my mother and grandfather heard in the room. Mrs. Evelyn Kimiet died in 1970, soon after I was born. Maybe this is why the activity all started. I also found out that there was a monastery in Baldwin Street where my parents met and worked and there is a property directly opposite the former Gladstone Villa property in Cardiff Road, dating back to the 16th century. It is now a public house called the Rafa Club, 
A priest hide is said to be there, but it's, sil but it's sealed up. This explains the monk my mother saw. What I have said here is true. I wouldn't share it if I possibly couldn't back it up. They, he did use real names, he said, and he has nothing to hide. Um, sadly, some of the people he has mentioned were no longer with him, are no longer with us. And he said he challenges any hardened skeptic and firm non-believer. And he can assure that any, um, that they will indeed most certainly question their belief system of this. He has no doubt at all whatsoever. In fact, he's a hundred percent positive. So, uh, thank you, Andrew, for, um, doing the research on your property. This is very interesting stuff because I think it's pretty cool that you live there, but it's also a part of history. And it sounds like there were a lot of things going on. So really, I appreciate you sharing that. Um, very cool story. And hopefully, um, we're not scaring too many people. <laughs> okay. Um, just a couple of short stories um, that I read that actually come from reader the Reader's Digest site. Um, they have some pretty good stuff out there. If you guys want to just do some leisure reading and, you know, at nighttime, you're just reading some ghost stories, you know, like that's normal, right? Um, so this is all credited to uh, various sources, but I will I will note them. This one's called The Little Hands. I've never lived in a haunted house, but my mother did as a teen. Other houses on her street had strange things going on too. A few homes away from her lived a man and his family. One night, one of his daughters went to bed with a bad headache. The next day, she was dead. She passed away from an aneurysm. After the funeral, the family went away to get their minds off the tragedy, and the father asked my uncle, my mom's brother, to check on their pets. My mom and dad, they were dating then, went with my uncle. My mother had heard there was a grand piano and she wanted to play it and my dad was studying to be a veterinarian. After entering the house, my uncle and my father headed to the basement to see the animals, and my mother went to the piano on the ground floor. She was playing it when she felt something brush her ankles. She thought a cat must have left the basement and walked past her. She kept playing, and she felt it again. She looked under the piano and saw nothing. When she started again, she felt hands clasp her legs and grab them tightly. She dashed to the basement door, called my uncle and father, and waited for them. When they all walked outside, my uncle could tell my mom was rattled and asked what was wrong. She told them what had happened, and he turned white. He told her the daughter who died used to play a game with her father. When he played the piano, she'd crawl underneath, grab his ankles, and push his feet up and down on the pedals. That's terrifying. Um, so this is, for, that's from reddit.com. A uh, contributor was patented space hook. Um, all right. The unseen patient. The ambulance company that I used to work for had a haunted ambulance, Rig 12. A lot of EMTs had stories about it, but I never put much stock in paranormal stuff. That is until I had my own experience with Rig 12. My partner and I were working in a, in a rural community at 3 a.m., and it was pitch dark and completely quiet. We were both dozing. I was in the driver's seat and she was in the passenger seat. I woke up to a muffled voice and I thought my partner was talking. I told her I was trying to sleep and closed my eyes. I distinctively heard a male voice say, oh my God, am I dying? Followed by a few seconds of heavy breathing. My partner and I sat up straight and looked back into the patient compartment where it sounded like the voice had come from. 
Things were quiet for a couple seconds. Then we heard the click of an oxygen bottle regulator and a hiss, as if it was leaking. I turned on the lights and we ran out of the rig. I thought a transient might have climbed in while we were asleep, so we opened the rear doors. No one was there. I checked the oxygen bottles. Neither was opened. We didn't sleep much after that. That was from reddit.com contributor Zerbo. This is called The Impish Ghost. My neighbor Diane and I had a playful poltergeist for years, and we called it Billy. I'd come home and find something put in a weird place. Milk in a cupboard, toilet paper in the fridge, laundry detergent in the bathtub. Diane once called, called to ask if Billy had been around, because she couldn't find a gallon of milk. We finally found it outside on her back steps. And sugar. Darn sugar. Every morning, my sugar bowl was empty. When I had enough, I'd point to Diane's home and yell, go see Diane. Within five minutes, I'd get a call from her and she'd say thanks a lot because he'd gone and pulled shenanigans at her place. This occurred for the entire two years we lived there. No one believed us, not even our husbands. My mother thought someone was stealing from us when we were sleeping or out of the house. My sister believed something was going on, but didn't know what. I still can't explain any of it. That was reddit.com contributor Abby's underscore alibi. This is called the eerie attic. It seems so cliche to start by saying I don't believe in ghosts, but however, that's where I'm coming from. A few years ago, I moved into a one bedroom apartment in Melbourne, Australia. It was my first time living on my own. The apartment block had been built in the 1930s. I'd been there for a few months when I, come home, when I came home from work one day and went into the bathroom. I saw something strange. The wooden board covering a hole in the ceiling that led to a small attic space lay broken in two pieces on the ground. Um, oh, lost my spot. Okay, sorry. I examined the broken pieces. The board was an inch thick and it would have taken a Bruce Lee to break it. I thought the landlord had sent something, someone to work on the attic. I was frozen stiff with fear. I thought someone was up there for sure. I emailed pictures to the landlord asking if anyone had been there, with an undertone of annoyance since she hadn't warned me. Her reply read, Please call me as soon as you are able to. I called, and she explained that her last two tenants had, had said the same thing had happened. She promised to replace the board, and she did. A month later, I woke up one night around 4 a.m. I had so many goosebumps. It felt like someone was rubbing his or her hands on me. Everything was silent, but then I heard this sound coming from above my bed. It was a dragging sound, like someone pulling a sack of potatoes. I was frozen stiff with fear. I thought, someone is up there for sure. There is no way an animal could make that sound. After five minutes, I managed to work up the courage to turn on the light and walk to the bathroom. I was armed with a cricket bat. When I looked, I saw the new board covering the hole was broken in two. I felt sick. The dragging sound had stopped, but I heard something else, whispering. The sound was clear and coming from the attic. It sounded like children's voices, and I could hear one sentence repeated over and over. It's your turn. It's your turn. I switched on every light in the apartment to make things feel normal. It was 5 a.m. and dark outside. I watched TV to try to unwind. Then a fuse blew. My pet budgie, Dexter, whom I kept in the kitchen, usually never made a sound at night, but he started squawking like he was being strangled. 
I've never heard him make these sort of noises. He was screaming. I grabbed my car keys, ran out, sat in my car, and waited there until the sun came up. When I saw people walking their dogs, this comforted me enough to go back in. The front door was open, but I thought I hadn't closed it when I ran out. I went to the kitchen to check on Dexter, and he wasn't in his cage. I felt sick again. All my windows were closed, so I looked everywhere inside. When I walked to the bathroom, I heard splashing. Dexter was half-drowned in the toilet. I took him out, washed him, and dried him. I was so confused. At 8 a.m., I called the landlord and gave her a watered-down version of the night. Oh, wow, you heard the whispering too, she said. I stayed in that apartment for another 18 months. I heard the whispering on a few occasions, and twice the board covering the hole in the ceiling moved. Although I live somewhere, live elsewhere, the landlord recently called. She said her new tenants had begged to speak with me about some of the stuff that's been going on there. Forget it. It's their problem now. That's Reddit.com's contributor Diggs, Diggs Dogs. This one's called The Boy With No Eyes. One night when I was 10, I was woken up by my bedroom door opening, followed by someone sitting on my bed. I felt my leg grazed and the bed sink under a person's weight. Thinking it was my mom, I opened my eyes to see an eyeless boy. He had black, empty sockets, about my age, sitting at the foot of my bed. He extended his hand, and in it was a little box. I was startled, but reached out. He pulled back. I reached again and said, give it. Then I blinked, and when I reopened my eyes, he was gone. But the imprint of someone sitting on my bed was present. Fast forward five years. My girlfriend came over to do homework. After she finished, she took a nap while she waited for her parents. When they arrived, I tried waking her up. She opened her eyes suddenly, looking up at a corner where the wall met the ceiling. She pointed there and went back to sleep. I shook her again. She came to full consciousness, and I explained what she'd done. She said, up on the wall, I saw a little boy with no eyes. He was there in a Spider-Man pose, staring at me. I freaked out and told her my story about the same kid. Fast forward another five years. I was with the same girlfriend, and we had a two-year-old. We were living in my parents' house, in my old room. My daughter started waking up at the same time every night, and she'd talk. After a while, I noticed she had almost the same conversation every night. I playfully asked her once whom she was talking to. She said, it's a little boy. He's nice. He's lost and looking for his mommy. My daughter's nightly conversations continued until we got our own place later that year. Reddit.com contributor KMendo4. That is scary. Okay, and I will read one more. Um, this is called The Cell Phone. A couple of months ago, my friend's cousin, a single mother, bought a cell phone, bought a new cell phone. After a long day of work, she came home, placed her phone on the counter, and went to watch TV. Her son came to her and asked if he could play with her new phone. She told him not to call anyone or mess with text messages, and he agreed. At around 11.20, she was drowsy, so she decided to tuck her son in and go to bed. She walked to his room and saw that he wasn't there. She then ran over to her room to find him sleeping on her bed with, his, with the phone in his hand. Relieved, she picked her phone back up from his hand to inspect it. Browsing through it, she noticed only minor changes such as a new background, banner, etc. 
but then she opened up her saved pictures. She began deleting the pictures he had taken until only one new picture remained. When she first saw it, she was in disbelief. It was her son sleeping on her bed, but the picture was taken by someone else above him, and it showed the left half of an elderly woman's face. If you liked what you heard tonight, please go to iTunes or wherever you listen to our podcast, and please give it a five-star rating because I'd love to continue this podcast. Hope I didn't scare you too much. Good night.